Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Sam Lobby, and joining me via phone, uh, Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. Guys, it's been a little while. Yeah, it really has. Looking forward to get, getting back at it. Some real football started yesterday, or as real as you can get at this time of year. So, uh, yeah, it, it's time. Yeah, I thought you were. I thought you meant it's been a while since we saw each other, but we saw each other like literally yesterday. So, <laughs> but yeah, it has been a while since we've done a podcast. Yes, we, we did see each other yesterday. Of course, the Browns uh, off-season program in full swing now. Uh, they are in OTAs, which means they have 10 OTA practices over the next three weeks, um, including the golf outing on Monday. That counts for some guys as, as an OTA day, but never mind about that. Um, we get to see three of them uh, yesterday, next Wednesday, and then the Thursday, uh, the following week. And then it all leads up to the mandatory mini camp, which is three days at the beginning of June. Um, and then we hit the scariest time in the NFL for organizations, the time between mandatory mini camp and training camp. Um, so yesterday was our first chance to actually see some real football since the draft. We had rookie mini camp, but that's always a little weird. Yesterday was the first full squad for the most part. OTA practice that we got to see. So we're kind of going to go through some people we got to hear from. And some people we didn't get to hear from yesterday. And we're going to start with Kareem Hunt. Uh, we got to hear from Kareem Hunt. It was the first time since the Browns signed him. It was really the first time since he did that interview after the Chiefs cut him. And, and the video came out of him shoving and, and kicking the woman in, in that downtown hotel hallway at the nine. Um, first time we got to hear from Kareem Hunt. And, and Mary Kay, we'll start with you. What, what was sort of your impression about what Kareem had to say and, and how he handled himself? Well, I actually thought he did a very nice job. Now, of course, he was coached up and uh, he had some help on what to say, but he sounded genuine to me. He sounded contrite. He sounded like he's been humbled uh, by this incident. And it seems to me that he's really trying very hard to get his life turned around, to put this incident behind him and to become a productive member of society. I like the fact that he's going out and talking to schools. He's been out to Cleveland Heights High and other schools. He's still being embraced by by his own high school, Willoughby South. Uh, he's got some good influences around him here. He's seeing counseling twice a week. And I don't know. I, I kind of bought what he was talking about yesterday. Scott, what, what about you? You know, I, as I was listening to him talk, I just kept thinking about how often we've heard this press conference before. And not, not specifically here in Cleveland, although we have, but just in sports in general, it, it's – 
this is like some sort of ritual that has to happen. You know, you come out, you say certain things in a certain order about certain situations and how you are grateful for a second chance and you want to get back to being a baseball player, a football player, basketball player, whatever the case is. Um, and that's what this kind of felt like to me. I'm not saying he wasn't sincere, um, but it just it's just this weird ritual we got to go through before everybody can kind of move on and just focus on the things that everybody's really there for. And, you know, he, he said what he had to say, and I guess, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, I don't know Kareem Hunt. I think I've talked to him three times, like once in high school, once at the combine. And I heard him talk, you know, here at, at OTA. So um, it, it, if he hasn't changed, it'll kind of, it'll probably be, his downfall and, and we'll all kind of move on from there but it, it's something we've all seen before and sadly we'll probably see it again yeah this is this is sort of the the awkward part of this situation because obviously we all know what happened uh, we've all acknowledged what happened i don't think anyone is really super comfortable with, with what happened or uh the, the fact that the browns uh, made this decision to sign kareem hunt but the reality is he's here he signed. He's going to be a very significant part um, of this football team, and you know he did what he was supposed to do yesterday. He was uh, he was contrite. He answered the questions he was supposed to answer. He did it in in a good way. And Scott, like you said, I mean it. It is kind of now we just have to wait and see. Is he really a different person? Was that or wasn't that really the person he is in, in that video? Only time will tell. And and the reality is that at some point. You know, we've got to start talking about Kareem as, as as a football player. You know, I have been through a lot of these redemption press conferences in the past, a ton of them, actually. Uh, I've been through so many of them with Josh Gordon. I've been through so many of them with Johnny Manziel. And there was a difference to me uh, between among some of those other redemption press conferences. I never really bought into all the things that Johnny said when he would stand before us, I always thought, you know what? I'm not buying it. He's full of crap. And I really felt that way so many times with Josh Gordon as well. I never really believed that they were being sincere. I felt like they were giving lip service uh, to what they were saying. I, I didn't really buy into it for whatever reason. And I could be wrong about this because I know Tyreek Hill has, has given similar press conferences in Kansas city and he sounded very believable. For whatever reason, Kareem sounded very sincere to me yesterday. And I, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll be proven wrong on this, but it seems to me like he really is remorseful, like he's trying to do the right things. He's trying to make amends uh, and that he really is grateful for the second chance and doesn't plan on needing a third. And, of course, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, hopefully he realizes there's only so many John Dorseys out there who are going to be willing to take on somebody uh, with the baggage and to take the any PR uh, hit that might come with somebody like him, um, you know, he found he found the the biggest one that he could find in the real John Dorsey, and you know, I don't know if there's any more out there. Yeah, so um, you know, all of that aside, um, th this was ultimately a football signing. I know John Dorsey has talked about believing in second chances and and all of that, but but listen, the reality here is. The Browns weren't going to sign Kareem Hunt if he wasn't a really great football player. Um, if he was just a guy, if he was just a 90th guy on the roster, 
uh, John Dorsey wouldn't be taking this chance. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about on the field and, and what we did see from Kareem Hunt and, and what the Browns might be getting when he comes back after those eight games. Um, he was, you know, I, I mentioned it in the story I wrote yesterday. There, there was this route he ran against Sione Taki Taki, completely left him behind. Should have made the catch, but didn't in the front of the end zone. This guy is a difference-making type of football player and uh we we got to hear from nick chubb yesterday too this this backfield mary Kay, has a chance to be really dynamic for this football team it really does and it takes you about two seconds to look out there at kareem hunt on the field to see that he's the real deal these kind of guys the pro bowlers uh the players that are the best of the best in the nfl it sticks out like a sore thumb the minute you watch them And it was that way for me yesterday. Even though it's no contact, it's no pads, you can still tell who is the real deal. And he brought that to the table yesterday. And we'll see that even more so as we go along here. Uh, He's a tremendous talent, both in the run game and in the passing game. And I think that's going to be crucial, obviously. I mean, he can catch the ball out of the backfield as well as Duke Johnson can, which, of course, is one of the reasons why Duke might be Spendable when it's back off of his suspension. But you can see the talent is evident, the explosiveness, the route running, uh, just the field awareness. And, and also now, you know, I think he's I think he's really hungry and I think he's really motivated. Scott, when you when you kind of look at this backfield, you know, what do you see with the Kareem Hunt addition when he is able to come back? Yeah, there was uh, you, know, you mentioned the Taki Taki play. There was uh, one. I think it was before that. And I don't know who the linebacker was who was matched up against him, but. He Kareem juked and and the linebacker went to the outside and Kareem went inside wide open. And it was one of those plays that you you start thinking, all right, who else on the roster could do that and and make somebody look that bad? And I think, like like Mary Kay said, Duke Johnson has to look at that and think, you know, what what can I do that that he can't? How can I, you know, what am I on this offense if they have a Kareem Hunt? But uh, you bring him in. I, I've never thought of him as the same thing as, as, as Nick Chubb. I, I don't know how well they'll complement each other because they're both used to being the main guy, but um, they do have different skill sets and they can be used differently. Um, I guess that's the task for, you know, for Freddie Kitchens and, and, and the rest of his offensive coaches to figure out how you do that and keep everybody happy and, and get the best out of everybody. But, but yeah, watching yesterday and watching specifically – linebackers trying to cover Kareem Hunt uh, one-on-one, that's that's going to be something that uh, that they'll certainly want to focus on. Yeah, well, yeah, and, you know, I've, I've said this in, in various settings. I said this at the event we had before the draft. Um, you really have to realize Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb is really good. Kareem Hunt is a, a special talent. Again, that's why John Dorsey signed him and, and is taking this chance on him and giving him the second chance because he is a, a really special talent and it sometimes it is hard to see in these non-contact situations and, and these these moments where there aren't pads and, and you can't hit guys and, and whatever else but this league is about creating mismatches now and and that's what freddie kitchens is gonna be able to do with this offense and todd munkin as well and, and let's talk about duke johnson here he of course has not reported for otas yet there's uh, you know, we don't know if he's going to get traded between now and the beginning of the season or the, or the trading deadline. But for now, he's a Cleveland Brown. And, you know, the reality is we've seen teams, you know, with two three headed monsters at running back 
be able to have success and be able to find touches for guys. And, you know, for me, as long as Duke Johnson is on this roster, I think if you're a good team, I, I think if you're a good organization and a good coaching staff, you can find ways uh, to use a guy like Duke Johnson, even if there are questions about how much he'll actually touch the football. Well, I don't think he's helping his cause with the coaching staff right now uh, by not being here. I think that they've tried to consistently say, we want him here. He's going to play a vital role on this football team. And if that's the case, then, you know, I would think that that he would be here trying to show them that, hey, you know what? I did ask to be traded, uh, but I am committed to this and I'm going to come in here and do the best job I can possibly do. I think he was already a little bit behind the eight ball. Freddie didn't use him much in the last half of last season as it was. And now he's skipping all of this stuff. And I think they feel differently about him doing that than they do about Odell. Odell's getting a little bit of a pass right now while Freddie Kitchens, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, while Freddie, Freddie Kitchens lets him get comfortable with the whole notion of being traded. But as far as Duke is concerned, uh, I, I don't think that they're loving what's going on with him right now when they've consistently tried to say, no, we want him here. Uh, we want him to play ball for us. Uh, it's kind of an odd situation, too, because I talked to someone close to Duke Johnson who told me that he would be participating in OTAs. Now, they didn't say he'd be here on the first day, their second day, or even the first week, uh, but I was told he would participate. When we talked to Freddie yesterday, he made it sound like Duke isn't going to show up uh, until the mandatory minicamp in June, and, that, and then he'll come back for training camp. Uh, but if he skips all of this, uh, the whole entire 10 voluntary OTAs, and he's already skipped the voluntary minicamp, uh, I, I think he's putting himself uh, in a situation to maybe to maybe either not be around that long or not get as many touches as he would like to if he's on the team. Yeah, and you know, it's getting harder and harder to make a, an argument for the Browns needing Duke Johnson. Um, they, they don't need him to fill a slot role. They, they don't necessarily need – I mean, their backfield is full. Uh, I know you're without Kareem Hunt for at least half the season, but um, – it's, it's just getting harder and harder to make the case. And I think from Duke's perspective, it makes sense that he would want out. But I think what are the odds that he's going to go to a team that wants him to be a focal point of the offense? He goes to another team. He's basically going to be, for the most part, in a similar situation. There's going to be coaches trying to figure out how do we what do we do with Duke Johnson? Last season, he said himself, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be in the NFL. Um so, so unless he's going to go somewhere and get 60% of the snaps, which I find hard to believe that's going to happen, this is, this is Duke Johnson's reality. He's going to be a player who is seen as a as someone they want to use in matchups, but not somebody who's going to have the offense build around him. And if it's not likely that he's going to go to another team and become the focal point, then, then why not just stay here? Well, one, one thing to keep an eye on, and I've written this before, that the Jets have been one of the teams uh, that have had their eye on Duke Johnson. Now, for whatever reason, uh, when McCagnan was the GM, they did not trade for Duke Johnson, and they instead signed Le'Veon Bell. Now that Adam Gase is the GM right now, the de facto GM, uh, interim or whatever, while they uh, since they fired McCagnan, you know, maybe there will be renewed interest in Duke Johnson. So I think that's something... Uh, to kind of keep an eye on a little bit and see if they don't, uh, 
you know, dredge that back up again and maybe make a play for him uh, in part because, you know, Greg Williams, the new Jets defensive coordinator, was here with Duke Johnson, knows all about him, uh, knows how everything went down last year. He was kind of a Hugh Jackson guy, Duke was. And, um, you know, once you get sort of pigeonholed that way, I think it's a little bit difficult to get out of that. And, um, you know, Greg was a Hugh Jackson guy, too. So I think that, uh, you know, maybe there's a chance that they will kind of take another look at the situation. So something just to kind of tuck away and keep an eye on. Yeah. And I think the other question here is what the Browns would want for Duke and and what teams would be willing to give up for Duke. Um, Because, you know, maybe those two things don't match up right now. And and I I wonder how much you could actually get for him. We've seen that that running backs haven't really uh, brought back very much in return as far as draft compensation. Uh, We we did see the Jets make a move uh, yesterday, trading Darren Lee to the Chiefs. It was a sixth rounder, I believe, in in that deal. So, um, you know, the, the question is the Browns have to also find the value they want and another team has to be willing to give up that value. And, and maybe that doesn't exist right now. And, and the, the other big difference here is Duke Johnson is Duke Johnson. You know, we've talked about it. We kind of know what he is. He's a guy that the Browns have struggled to get on the field, struggled to find a role for Odell Beckham. He's Odell Beckham. He's going to come in and be the number one receiver, whether he shows up for two OTA sessions or, you know, the, the remainder of, of the OTA sessions. He's going to be Odell Beckham. We know his role. We know the expectations for him. Duke Johnson doesn't really have that luxury. So if he's still on the roster and shows up on June 4th, uh, that things, things will get very interesting at that point. Well, I, I think if, if someone does like Duke, and again, we know that the Browns are not going to give him away. So we, we don't expect them to give him away for a seventh, a sixth round pick, probably not even a fifth. But here's here's the difference between Duke and some of the other running backs that we have seen traded for late round picks lately. And that is the fact that he is as much of a pass catcher as he is a running back. And though there's more of a premium on the receivers. So if you know that you can split him out wide, play him in the slot and do those kinds of things, uh, he's more of an all purpose back. So I think uh, for those reasons, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's probably why the Browns also want to hold out for something better for them. But I think, you you know, a team might be willing to give up just a little bit more for Duke than they would a regular run-of-the-mill running back. Hmm. Well, All right. So, oh, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, Don Trail Hilliard looked really good yesterday. <laughs> Maybe somebody should relay that to Duke Johnson. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think I think he's a guy that, uh, that, that they kind of like as well. Um, so let, let's talk about Odell, um, because obviously this has been – uh, you know, a, a topic of discussion uh, really from from the day that the Browns offseason program started since the day we, we got introduced to Odell Beckham and, and it was made clear that he was not going to be participating in this offseason program. It, it's been a real um, it's been a real touch point for people. They either are very strongly um, in the Odell should be here or very strongly in the Odell shouldn't. You know, it doesn't matter thing. I You know, I personally, I, I think there's. I think there's a discussion to be had. I think you can be okay with Odell not being here, but also maybe a little uncomfortable with the fact that he's not here. I I don't think it has to be this black and white, he should be here or he shouldn't be here, you know, discussion. I think it would be beneficial for Odell Beckham to be here with the Browns. I also think if he goes out against the Titans on September 8th and catches eight passes for 113 yards and a touchdown, (laughs) it's, it's not going to matter. So 
Freddie Kitchens yesterday, I thought was very interesting on this, Mary Kay. He said that he just wants Odell to be mentally ready to be here. I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I don't have the quote in front of me. Um, he, he wants Odell to be mentally ready to be here when he shows up. How, how did you kind of take what Freddie had to say? Well, here's what's basically happening with Freddie Kitchens and Odell Beckham Jr. Freddie knows that he has to get the players ready to run through a wall for him and to get them to do anything that he wants them to do. Uh, he has to gain their trust first. He has to get them on his side. That's what he did last year with Baker Mayfield. And it's a major reason why Freddie Kitchens is the head coach of this football team right now, because he was able to get uh, Baker Mayfield, the number one guy on the football team right now, uh, to really want to play for him. And that's what he's trying to do right now with Odell Beckham Jr. So he's defending him. He's on his side. He's, uh, you know, he's not making excuses for him, but he's basically giving him a pass for his decision right now not to participate in the offseason program or to participate on a very, very limited basis. So that's where Freddie's coming from. He's trying to get Odell 100% on his side. My thoughts on the whole Odell thing are, you know what? I do think that Odell will be able to go out and catch, you know, 10 passes and, uh, you know, two touchdowns against the Titans in week one, regardless of what he does in these 13 voluntary practices, not counting the conditioning, but just the voluntary extra mini camp and the 10 OTAs, 13 practices. Uh, if he, you know, doesn't do many of those practices, I think he'll still have a really good season and, you know, he can help take the Browns to the promised land or whatever the case may be. But that's really not the point. The point is the Browns, uh, they traded for him. They put their faith in him. You know, they gave up a first round pick, Jabril Peppers, and a third round pick for him. They're paying him a ton of money, more than $15 million a year. And he doesn't know his teammates. He doesn't know his offensive coordinator. He doesn't know his head coach yet. He doesn't know the playbook. He doesn't know the system. He doesn't know the lay of the land. He doesn't know the city. So I think that this would have shown really good faith for him to come here. I think it would have set the tone for younger guys like Antonio Callaway. I think it would have shown that he doesn't set himself apart from anyone. This is different than Tom Brady not uh, participating in the Patriots OTAs. He has six Super Bowls under his belt. He knows that system inside and out. And, and he really doesn't need to be there. He's earned the right not to have to be there. Most of the cases that people use uh, as uh, examples for someone not showing up for OTAs and going on to become defensive player of the year, whatever, most of those guys were in contract situations and they had a reason not to show up. They were taking a stand. But from what I can tell, unless OBJ really is serious and that report is true that he wants a contract redo, uh, which Ian Rappaport reported right when he was traded, unless that has something to do with this, I don't see why you wouldn't be here. I mean, Baker Mayfield was out there throwing yesterday. Uh, his, two, his two starting receivers were Antonio Callaway and Damian Ratley. And that's not as it should be. You've got 13 chances uh, to get a jump on other people, especially that voluntary minicamp. And even if it doesn't matter that much, even even if they can throw the ball around at USC and get done what they need to get done in June and early July, I still think that you can take those 13 practices and come here and show that you're committed 
and that you're going to back up everything that you said in your introductory press conference and you're going to set the tone and you're going to show not only the Cleveland Browns, but the rest of the NFL uh, that you're very, very serious about helping get this team to a Super Bowl. Scott? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, this just comes down to perception. And yes, if you're building a young team and you want everybody moving forward and there's all this hype around the team, you want all your best players there because of the message it sends and the examples it could set. But if you're doing things in OTAs that you don't think people can afford to miss, that's probably your own fault. It's voluntary and that's something that needs to be negotiated in the next CBA to, to change it. So I think I get why everybody, I get the idea. I understand why people want Odell there, why you would want anybody there, but it's not voluntary. And Freddie is like walking that tightrope. He, he kind of said that it's mostly for the younger guys and he's trying to build knowledge and things like that. And if you've been in the league and had the success that Odell has had, maybe you don't necessarily need that knowledge that is being offered to those younger players. Um, I, I don't know. It's I don't care that he's not there. I don't think it'll matter once the season begins. If he starts missing mandatory practices, then I think you have an issue. But for now, you know, he's not there. And that that's that's the situation. And we just have to kind of move on from that. If you guys get a chance, and if you haven't yet, um, there's a, a really good column on sportingnews.com by Jeff Diamond, former NFL general manager. In fact, may have been, uh, I think he was a former uh, personnel executive of the year in the NFL. He wrote a, an excellent column about this, and he basically hit all the points on on why it is important for uh, for Odell to be here and uh, you know if you get a chance you know give give it a look because you know this is someone who's been on the other side of it who's been on a football team and you know has has needed guys to be there and it's just a very very interesting perspective yeah I, I mean I, I think just you know writing off the value of OTAs is, is kind of silly there's a reason they do this and and you know we've been there we've been to these practices we see that sometimes it's it can be kind of a yawner to sit there and watch these practices and you, know, you don't win Super Bowls in spring, but there is a reason they have these practices. There's a reason that so many guys were there for, for this voluntary camp. I mean, a lot of the roster was there. Jarvis Landry, you know, was there yesterday, even though he, he didn't necessarily practice. You, you know, these guys are there and, and they do find value in this stuff. And, and I think it's I, I think it's perfectly fair for someone to to say, look, Odell should probably be here. At the same time, I can see the side of this where people say it's voluntary and Odell Beckham's going to be fine and he's, he's going to show up and do what he's supposed to do. You know, I, I, I guess we'll see. That, that's, sort of, that's sort of where I come down on it. You know, we'll, we'll kind of see if, if this really does matter in the end that Odell's not here. Kind of wish he was, but, but it's not something that really, you know. <laughs> I'm kind of in the camp that I don't get real fired up about it. Um, I, I think there's plenty else to watch, but I do think it would be very beneficial if, uh, if he did show up for more than maybe one or two of these OTA sessions. Like what, would, what would have to happen? What would have to happen for us to think that it was an issue that he wasn't here? Like what would have to happen later for us to say, man, he should have been at OTAs. 
you, you know what? I don't think it's an, I don't think it's going to show up on the field. I really don't. I think it's already uh, a statement of, of commitment. And you know what? I, I have actually spoken to another head coach about this in the NFL. Uh, and that coach kind of confirmed, you know, what I think they actually really truly think about this sort of thing when they can't say it. And that is, it's a show of commitment. It's a show of, I'll do anything I possibly can and run through any wall to help this football team get where it needs to be. And coaches, even though, like I said, Freddie can't say this publicly, but um, coaches want them here. It's, it's an opportunity uh, to get knowledge. I mean, he doesn't have the knowledge yet. He, He doesn't have, uh, the ins and outs of this new offense. They don't even know what it is yet. Baker Mayfield told us yesterday they don't have an offensive identity yet, okay? They're trying to, to create that offensive identity right now, and they're trying to create it largely without Odell. And again, I don't think it's going to matter. He's going to go out there, and he's going to have, you know, 10 touchdowns and 1,400 yards probably and do all those great kind of things. But uh, I, I do think it's important. I think it's way more important than um, than a lot of other people do. And I understand that, um, that there's a case that can be made both ways on this thing. But I just think it says when you show up, it's a, you know, it says I'm here and, you know, I've got everybody's back and I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I mean, remember Baker last year at the end of the year when he told all of the players, you know, if you're not all in for these last uh, for these last few games or this last game that doesn't matter, then go home. I think it's the same kind of thing at this time of year, you know, be all in also right now when you're installing the offense, you're installing the defense, you're getting to know your teammates, uh, you're, you're building chemistry, you're cre- creating relationships and bonds, you're laughing at certain things, they're doing team building things, you know, they're, even Freddie Kitchens has talked about it on building the Browns and, and elsewhere, you know, this is the time of year where you build up those relationship chips. And he knows, he knows that it's not ideal uh, that Odell isn't here right now, but he's willing to give Odell the space that he needs to get mentally ready to accept this trade and to accept that Cleveland is his new home. All right, let, let's move on to a guy who was there uh, and a guy that we got to hear from, I believe, for the first time in person, Olivier Vernon. He was the other piece of that Odell Beckham trade. Of course, it happened before the Beckham trade and all got rolled into one. Uh, but Olivier Vernon uh, was here. He is a guy who has, has told us this before. He's very excited to move back uh, to being a 4-3. And, and uh, you know, Mary Kay, kind of your impressions of, of Vernon and, and what he had to say yesterday. Well, I really liked everything that I heard from Olivier Vernon yesterday. He seems to me to be one of those veteran guys. Freddie talked about guys being battle-tested. He's one of those veteran, battle-tested guys that you need to have in your locker room. They've seen a lot. They've been through a lot. I think he can be a good mentor for Miles Garrett. I think he'll take a little pressure off of Miles. I think he'll help set the tone. I asked him one particular question yesterday, and I loved his answer. I said, with you know, when you look across that defensive line and you see guys like Miles and Sheldon Richardson and, and these guys and Larry Ogunjobi on this defensive line, do you see yourself having double-digit sacks? And he said, all I care about are double-digit victories. And I loved that answer. He didn't even have to, to think about it. I mean, he just basically 
blurted that out. So I liked everything that I heard from him yesterday. He defended Odell, which I thought was great. He knows Odell as well as anyone on this team except for Jarvis Landry. And, you know, he, he put it out there. Hey, you know what? He's as great of a guy and great of a teammate as he is a player. So I think it was good to hear that from him. Uh, I, I just liked everything I heard from him yesterday. Uh, Scott, of course, Vernon is, uh, you know, Freddie even threw this out there. Hey, you guys are asking about all these offensive guys. We added a bunch of defensive guys, too. You know, Vernon is as important an addition as as really any this season. Obviously, Odell is Odell, but you know, they brought in Olivier Vernon because they weren't thrilled with uh, with the help that Miles Garrett was getting last year from from the likes of Emmanuel Agba and, and some other guys they tried on that end. Uh, he's, he's an important piece to all of this. Oh, yeah. And it, it was really I guess the defense was the one thing uh, at, at the session we got to see where you could actually kind of see what it was supposed to be because everybody was was there. Um, you know, you, you had your you had Vernon and, and Obi Joby and, and Richardson and, and, and Garrett and seeing them all lined up in the front. You know, you had Ward out there. You had your safeties. You had the new the new guys, Eric Murray and, and Burnett. And, you know, you, you just had. The whole thing, you kind of see how people were moving in, um, how they were kind of rotating people and kind of get an idea of maybe who's going to be who's going to be the backups, who's going to be rotating in with the starters. Um, so that was good. But I think Freddie's right. You know, we've spent a lot of this offseason talking about about the offense, even even in free agency when they did bring in right around that time when they did get Vernon and they got Richardson. Um, all the talk was about Odell and what the offense had become. Um but uh, but I think the defense is, in a lot of ways is going to be the key to what happens this season because of the issues that there were last year with tackling, with stopping the run, with kind of finishing off the pressure that you're getting on the quarterback. So Vernon's going to be a big part of that. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how that, especially that front four develops. And, uh, and of course, you know, I mean, we've seen it when you're able to, to create that pressure. And, you know, you're, you're going to have four guys on that front that are going to demand attention now. You're, you're going to have... On the inside, Richardson and Ogunjobi, and then Richardson is going to help make Ogunjobi better. And, and then you're going to have on the outside, Garrett and Vernon. And then you've got some part-time guys that, that were really good last year in situations. Jannard Avery, who I know is a linebacker, but but he's an edge rusher. Um, Chris Smith was really good as, as a part-time player last year. You've got some some guys that can get after the quarterback, and that really does open up things for whoever's playing at linebacker. It kind of speeds things up for guys in the secondary. They don't have to cover as long. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities that can be created if you can get that pressure with just a four-man front. Yeah, I, I think they have really significantly upgraded the defense, and it has flown under the radar a little bit. But if you get that pressure up the middle uh, with with Sheldon and with Ogan Joby, uh, which of course quarterbacks you know really hate that middle pressure. If you can get that and then, you know, where's there going to be to go when you've got the outside guys, Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon uh, right there for you. So I really do think that um, it's looking very, very good on defense. And they really worked hard to upgrade the linebacking core as well. And I I think that's going to be a key issue. They add a lot of toughness to this defense. They added a lot of talent. They added size. They added speed. Uh, it's going to be a very different Cleveland Browns defense this year. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, you know, we we didn't get a big look at, at Greedy Williams yesterday. Um, I mean, it was tough to watch some of the the eleven on eleven stuff, but um, 
you know, that secondary is, is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, where do they put TJ Carey? You know, is Terrence Mitchell your number two? I believe he was working as, as the number two corner a lot yesterday. Um, and, and Scott, you mentioned a, a guy like Eric Murray. Um, that, you know, this is a guy that, uh, that can play in the slot. He can play safety. There's, there's a lot of versatility in, in that back end. And it's going to be interesting to sort of see how the Browns use these guys. Yeah, and Jermaine Whitehead uh, was getting yeah. quite a few first-team reps yesterday at, uh, at safety. That was something that kind of stood out. Yeah, he, he played yeah. some – I saw him playing some strong safety yesterday next to Demarius. Yeah, and and I and uh, again, Freddie raved about Morgan Burnett and how, you know, he worked a lot in there as the first-team uh, safety, op, strong safety opposite Demarius. And um, I would guess, you know, that's how it's going to go. I would think those guys would be the two starting safeties. And Freddie again talked about how, you know, he's, he's been there. He's, he's battled. He's, he's played, he's started a lot, a lot of games at safety and a guy like Freddie that came up under Bill Parcells. They like those veteran guys. They love that veteran experience, that wisdom, that presence. And he for sure brings that. All right. So uh, our first OTA session is in the books. The Browns will hold, like I said, they'll, 10 days of, of practices. We're going to get to see three of them. And then uh, it's mandatory mini camp time at the beginning of June uh, before we really sort of wind down a little bit before we wind it back up for training camp and uh, that, that long season ahead for the Browns full of expectations. So uh, of course we're going to have it all covered for you at cleveland.com slash Browns. Uh, we'll try and get some more podcasts coming to you as well. Um, as, as we watch these practices and, and kind of try to relay what we're seeing and, and hearing when we're out in Berea. So the next one for us is uh, next Wednesday. That'll be the what fifth OTA session for, uh, for this team. So uh, we'll, we'll get to see uh, um, some more practice then. So that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast from Eric and Scott. Dan, 